Hey guys, it's us, the Fundamentalists. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan. I am here once again with Peter Rollins. Uh, you may have noticed there has been um, a little bit of an absence in us. <laughs> and uh, there's reasons for that. One of them is sometimes, I don't know if you guys know this or not, uh, wires oh. um, don't work. And repeatedly, we, uh, we just didn't have the ability to podcast. So we took that time and had conversations amongst ourselves. Does that yes, sound correct? That sounds correct. Yeah, no, our wires weren't working. We had a couple of Our wires of weren't we working. Had, yeah, there you go. It that happens. was a metaphor if ever there was one. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we got them crossed and it didn't go well. So uh, we're back in action. Today we're talking about the most sexy, the most uh, colorful, uh, the most exciting topic, which is the Lacanian subject and the idea of primal <laughs> repression. Yeah, really? we're back. Woo! We're we back. We're back. Yes. Uh, yes. No more of this uh, topical stuff. If you're a patron at patreon.com slash the fundamentalist, then you've recently gotten episodes on Joe Rogan as well as, uh, you know, some of the Ukraine. Elon Musk. Have you done the uh, Musk one yet? No, you haven't. I still up. keep forgetting about that one. Oh, yeah, stick that one. I like that one. Yeah, well, I like let's that do it. Okay. Yeah, we'll, 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 those are Patreon-only ones. Beautiful. The, um, those are all, yeah, Ukraine, Musk, and... Rogan. Uh, Rogan, we're all, they're all for patrons only. You can see, you can see why. Uh, yeah. Those, it kind of constellates a certain thing. So uh, this particular episode, um, I am mostly in the dark. So Pete, take it away. I don't know what this idea is of primal repression. Yeah. I know a little bit, um, but by all means, uh, regale us with your philosophy for a moment. And then perhaps we have a conversation and uh, see where it goes. Yeah. Okay. I'll maybe go through. We'll kind of go through in stages a little bit at a time. Great. A little bit at a time and we'll see where we get on. This is a good one because you mentioned before we turned the camera on that this can help us understand what psychosis is, what perversion is. Perverts and psychos. Perverts and psychos is probably going to be the title to get some clickbait, uh -huh. to try and get some people listening to us again, because we wouldn't? probably lost our entire audience. No, they're still there. They're still there? They tweet at us. Oh, wow. They, they, you know, I mean, that's about it. Yeah, that's about, yeah. But I get DMs. Oh, yeah. Oh, very still? good. Nice. All the time. Okay, well then, well, thank you for continuing to listen, because we have, you know, as always, been pretty shit. Yeah, uh, well, should it, yeah, our, our consistency is not, uh, maybe not yeah. the best. We're also trying to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, because we were talking about maybe having a little bit of a, we, we have a topic and we each do like three to five minutes yes. on it and then discuss. I quite like that idea. Yes, um, I've been working on it. Oh. I have a whole document. Okay. That I'm making with a summaries of stuff and homework for each of us to, oh, to read before the actual episode. So um, there is thought being put into it. But then what happened was I got about four episodes in of mm -hmm. all my ideas. And then I texted you and I said something along the lines of, I'm working on this doc. And then I think because I texted you telling you I was working about it, that suffice. That was enough. And then, yeah, you just and could I leave it. haven't yeah. touched it since I told yeah. you I was touching it okay well that was impressive anyway thank very you good Where i feel pretty well good done. about it i was like look at me go here's an idea uh, and you're not gonna like any of them okay oh yeah because you've been doing you've been doing quite a lot about um the stars well you recently? Yeah. we'll get into that i gotta i gotta know i'm trying to you know i like to to dive into the most esoteric weird stuff mm -hmm. uh and so i'm you know i'm i'm, I'm trying my hand at it it's yeah. interesting at the very least it's an incredible astrology is a very interesting uh, 
old ancient sort of language and it's interesting to see how it works or whether it works yeah um, but uh, yeah there's a book called cosmos and psyche by richard tarnas that's i really like a lot but at the same time i'm like there's still that you know i still get that thing where i'm like i don't know i'm not sold yet so we'll see yeah. we'll see what happens but okay. it, big if true <laughs> big if true yeah that that would be that's that is the case yeah mm-hmm well, okay, I was thinking, well, I'm thinking about this because I'm reading the book at the moment. I'm reading a couple of interesting books I'm reading, but one is by a guy called Leon Brunner uh, on autism, the autistic subject. Very, very good. I think it's called the autistic subject. Um, and um, it's, uh, so I've been thinking about kind of aut- the autistic structure, interestingly, which we should do an episode on at some point. Absolutely. That would be fun. Um, his argument, by the way, which I find quite convincing, is that autism is another mode of being, another way of being in the world. So there's psychotic way of being in the world, perverse way of being in the world, neurotic way of being in the world, and autistic way of being in the world. And there are other possible ones. Uh, the main three are you know, psychosis, perversion, neurosis. Autism can often manifest like a psychotic way of being in the world, but he makes a very good argument of how they're, they're different. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, it's very, very interesting. So, cutting edge of Lacanian psychoanalysis. Well, it is, yes. Uh, yeah, there you go. It is the cutting edge. Yes. Uh, yeah. New, there's things happening. <laughs> there is. There, actually, you know what? Stuff going it's on. It's not just a bunch of cokehead dead guys. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, telling, I met uh, some of my um, cohort uh, on the beach, you know, maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. Uh, and they said something about, I don't know what it was. And I was like, well, they're all, co- they were all just cokehead maniacs anyway. Uh-huh. And they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, like Freud did like it. Oh, and that's one of the episodes I want to, I, I, actually, that's a summary is um, Freud's massive use of cocaine yeah. uh, is very interesting to me. Yeah. And the fact that he wrote the cocaine papers and all that stuff is really cool. But anyway, yeah. 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 they were unaware that. And they would, they would all write to each other, which is interesting. They, they had this, what was beautiful is, I can't remember what they called this, but the, like Adler and Freud and Jung, they were all kind of would write to each other and yeah. they would critique each other. And there was one time where, I can't remember which of the analysts basically did this scathing critique of one, one, of, one of their friends, one of their mm-hmm. colleagues, and did this scathing re- critique and then at the bottom of the letter because it would be it was like a circular letter you would yeah. send the letter on and the letter would pass around and at the very bottom of the scathing ret- uh, critique was this um line saying like like uh refute refute me as soon as possible basically it was kind of like so after this debate massive me. attack yeah debate or just destroy me just show me why i'm wrong which i really like that yeah. kind of that there was this whole experience of them being excited about be, you know what was yeah. happening about being critiqued about moving the argument forward how long it was a heady times as well they yeah. were heady times do you do you have a copy of the freud jung letters no i don't actually they're really know. great it's a very very interesting uh i mean literally it's just a book of yeah this their person. correspondence yeah and i might actually because i've got the complete works of freud which might i'm sure that would include the letters it might Maybe, it might not actually I'm yeah because sure. jung i think was pretty reluctant to let the the letters come out but it's kind of like it's such a weird i need to go back and read it because it's kind of tragic the way that the book uh you see kind of the just total demise of the relationship, yeah, relationship happen yeah. in like real time and, and from a first person perspective um, and it's just kind of, it's just sad. Like yeah. it, it has like a really, it's very beautiful, but yeah, tragic. So yeah. Anyway. Uh, well here, well, in, in terms of that kind of time when 
one of the things that Freud was really interested in, obviously, one of his earliest kind of insights was repression. And um, so that might be a good place to start. Is, and repression, yes. the very basic sense of repression, is the idea that neurotics tend to, or will always, um, push things out of their consciousness that are unpleasant. And Freud noticed that that neurotics would do this, they would push something out of their consciousness, but the affect would remain, mm-hmm. so the experience. So what would happen is, for example, somebody might be really angry with a colleague at work, uh, and they don't really know why, and they've got all these rational justifications, but you know, they're just really angry at this person at work. But then we discover that they have the same maiden name as their mother or something like that. And what's happened is their anger at their mother has been displaced onto the anger at this work colleague. Yeah. And it's, it's the evidence of it is very minor, but it's some connection. Maybe it's got the same hairstyle as the mother or say same maiden name or whatever it is. Um, and that's kind of displacement. So the affect continues, it remains, but it's disconnected from its original source. So that's kind of repression, it, like the, at, a, at its basic level. In a level. nutshell, yeah. In a nutshell. And then Adler kind of had this really interesting question for Freud. He said, Freud, you say that if, if I ask you where does civilization come from, you say from repression. But if I say where does repression come from, you say from civilization. Right? And go like, well, that sounds like a chicken and egg, right? Debate me. Debate me, yeah. How does, how does that work? <laughs> and Freud basically said, well, okay, you actually have two different types of repression. You have prime primal repression and you have secondary repression and the repression that i just mentioned that that was the first one to be discovered about secondary repression primal sounds like a big king kong fighting godzilla like primal but you mean like it's like prime like prime, it's yeah, first yeah it's first, first yes that's it first and foremost like and i think you know some people say pri- primary as well or originary uh yeah but i think primal primal repression is one of the terms that freud used for it cool um yeah and it's it's because it's kind of like it's the it's a type of repression that happens uh at the very beginning of life uh and then that allows for secondary repression which is what we discovered all right okay let me jump in here jump in I'm going to try to take the baton. Yeah. All right. And I want you to tell me where I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. So this can be a fun. I'd be very happy to do that. Yes, I know. I know. (laughs) Uh, So what happens is what had happened was when you're a little baby. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have a question here, but I won't, I won't say it. But basically the, the general idea is you're a baby. You, you start crying, right? You, mm-hmm. you want something. Yeah. Uh, however, there is a, uh, gets lost in the sauce. There's a miscommunication. There's something that happens where you, maybe the mother or the father thinks that you are crying for food when really you're tired or you're crying or you want, you know, milk, but really, you know, you're getting a, a toy or something. So there, it creates some sort of a thing in your brain, your little baby brain yeah. where you cannot figure out why that you, you basically can't communicate your desire to another. So this, in my understanding, would be it, this is actually what creates desire, creates this uh, uh, idea that we seek certain things. Um, and that's as far as I can go. Yes. Well, absolutely. That's it. So the baby kicks off with kind of just an experience. If almost if you can try and put yourself, which is impossible, into the mind of again the infant, there's there's just explosions of feeling. Right. 
and uh, you don't have words for like hunger or tiredness, heat or cold or anything like that, sickness. And the parents have to interpret. Yeah, they have mm-hmm. to interpret the cries of the child. Creates a gap. Yeah, and because sometimes they get it right, but even if they get it right, they may not respond immediately. The child's hungry and it takes half an hour for the, the mother or the father to feed the child. Um, and then sometimes they get it wrong. The child is hungry, and as you say, that they put the child to bed thinking it's, it's tired. Yeah. So this creates, yes, a, a little gap between what one is demanding, the need, and the response to that need. And which separates them from the previous state that they were in, which is one with everything and nothing can go wrong. Yes. It's a part growing up where all of a sudden the world is, you are in the world and separate from it, but not, uh, not no longer, you know, everything is you and colors are all, you know, everything yes. is, okay. Yes, it can be called like uh, in, Laca- in, in Lacanese, real one. Real one is the experience which you never have because you are you arise out of the loss of this but real one is the sense of an oceanic oneness yeah. with everything um, participation mystique oh very nice yes is that a union? union yeah okay which and he yeah he makes a big deal of that kind of experience as well what would he say about that i don't know no. um, i don't remember yeah okay <laughs> I, don't, I don't really pay attention yeah but that that yeah yeah it's the idea that when you're a ba- basically a baby it's like a uh primordial kind of you're in this sort of thing you feel there's no there's no um there's no formation of an ego yet yes yeah and so as an infant you are still divided in turn because you're a biological body so you've got molecules and all of that going on you're still divided animalistically but you're not divided subjectively yet because you're not you know the subject has not arisen yet um but this slight difference between the, the demand and the response to that demand creates desire. Basically, you experience a, a non-coincidence with yourself. Like if I was thinking about this the other day, like if you had a thought experiment where you had a machine that could literally interpret every need of the child just biometrically, right? Mm-hmm. So it could tell if a child was hungry and immediately feed it. It could tell if a child was tired, immediately put it to bed. If hypothetically in that world where the child's needs were always given, there wouldn't be a place for desire to arise. And it would be a profound experience of psychosis. Now, it's hard to imagine in reality, but you could write a sci-fi novel about mm-hmm. it, is where, where the child's needs are immediately, immediately responded yeah. to. But that never happens in reality. So desire comes in, a, a kind of like a, a frustration within the child. Frustration, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and desire. And that is the beginning of feeling a separation with the world. You start yep. to feel, and that's called the know of the father. That's the, so this is primal rational. This experience of, you know, separation from the primary caregiver. There's, by, by the way, the primary caregiver can be called the first other, and then there's the second other, and the first other is usually the mother, and the second other is usually the father, mm-hmm. but doesn't need to be. So first other and second other. So the infant starts to experience a, a, an alienation from the first other. They start to feel the mother's not always there. They don't always get what they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a presence and absence. So that, oh yeah, go for it. Well, no, I'm, I'm trying to just uh, process it. Mm. Uh, I also think it would be important to emphasize that it's not like you're, you're not saying that the baby is going, I want bottle because they haven't formed language yep. yet. Yep. So it literally, they don't even know. They don't know. Totally. Yes. There's don't something know. in them going like, 
I'm hungry, but they couldn't name hunger. Yes. It's like a, almost like an explosion of feeling of sensation that doesn't even have a center. Mm-hmm. If it really, yeah, it hasn't been kind of like Just brought into, be, yeah. into an ego. Yeah. So, and, but yet the parent is responding because there's something biological going on and they're trying to respond. Mm-hmm. And then the child feels that non-coincidence, which then creates desire. Okay. And then, you know, to say the next stage is partly desire brings the child into this really interesting space in which they begin to, because desire is itself desirable. This is, the, this is one of the key things. When desire comes into being. Yes, you guys love your desire. Yes. Desire is central. You know, I would say language and desire is, yeah. are the two, the two okay. biggies that kind of define what a human is. Um, and we do want to satisfy our, we think we want to satisfy our desire, but desire itself is desirous. Yeah, right? So yeah, desire yeah. is coming to being. And this brings the child into the desire for the other's desire. This is where the child begins to experience themselves, not simply as, I think there's, a ter- there's an old-fashioned term for it. I think it's called hospitalization or, so, or hospitalizing a child, which is where you give them their needs, but you don't give them love. Nice. Uh, that's really bad for a child. Yeah, right? yeah. It's very, very bad. Damaging <laughs> what? Yeah. Heard stories, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> right. Seems bad. Yeah, it seems bad, yeah. And, and I think they've done things where, like, when you go into those, like, crazy hospitals where children are just looked after but don't get the desire of the, of the adult. Yeah, they all do that yeah. self-hugging kind of monkey in a zoo thing. Yeah, it gets really, really nasty. So at this point, the, the do child... Do you ever go to those hospitals and visit those children? Just for fun. Yeah, just so, to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, just to see. It's <laughs> a nice, you know, if you have a free <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. And I think they say almost like you can't survive without it. If you, if you yeah, it literally have good. a kid with, that doesn't get love, or it's profoundly destabilizing. Yeah. But um, so the child starts to get desire, and they, they, they don't just desire food and warmth or to be hell you know to, to coldness or whatever they they start to desire to be desired the demand for love which is the demand for love the, how the, does that switch happen yeah see that's that's a that's a good question is that once desire appears desire is a type of lack and uh that opens up um a type of a response that the other's desire is is soothing i love just the process of trying okay so i'm a baby yeah just the pure imaginative fun of being like okay so i'm a baby i got hunger but i don't know what hunger is my mom doesn't know if i'm hungry or if i'm tired so i get put in bed but that doesn't satisfy it and that creates something that's wrong and then you go from the internal desire that you have being unsatiated to then projecting it outward onto other people. Yeah, yeah. So you could say it like this: is right. Once desire arises, and so Lacan once famously said, "Love is is giving someone what you do not have." Yeah. And what what the, what Lacan meant by that? One of his provocative statements is, "What you don't have is your own lack." Um, and whenever you, so I, like, I have a friend who, he's, he, you know, uh, mothers love him mm-hmm. <laughs> because he, he always seems quite, he always gives of his lack. There's something where he's giving out, which, which makes people go like, I want to look after you, right? Yeah. So that's whenever, whenever someone gives their lack, 
uh, that's a demand for love. That's basically what you're, so the child is experiencing a lack, right? This desire is an experience of lack. They're feeling fragile, whatever. And when they're crying, they're, they're giving their lack. They're giving what they do not have, their lack. I would say that what you're saying is intuitively very true because I think if anyone has ever been in love and rumors, rumor has it, some have, yep. but there is a, a sense of like the wor- the broken, the whatever, like there, it has this vulnerability to it, this kind of emptiness to it, which I would, I, I think lines up with the idea that there's some kind of a, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's a, and this is, because the, the you're asking that really basic question, like of the basic question of, how does the child move from demanding needs mm-hmm. to demanding love? Because so demanding needs is the is the infant cries and you give the infant yeah. a bottle. Once desire arises, the child now has this lack, and this lack um, is what they put out into the world. And the and the parents, the the good parents or the good enough parent, responds to that lack. They which is good enough parent is hold on. Dang it, I lost it. Winnicott? Winnicott. Ah, yeah, yeah. Which is a great term because, uh, yeah, the good enough parent just is good enough to enact what we're talking about, which because we're going to talk about two structures, if we've got time, the no and the name. Yes, yes, so we the no, the Yeah, so if, if all a parent has to do, in one sense, is hopefully enact the no and enact the name. So this is the no, where the infant begins to, yes, so their desire is inflamed. They've got this lack. And so the infant is giving this lack out. And, and the parent responds by holding the child, by loving the child, by, by mm-hmm. saying that I desire you. Um, I, that's you, the no of the father? That is, that's, yeah, that's kind of what comes in the aftermath of the no. That's the, I yeah, so, it. it's, so in the aftermath of the no is the child starts to feel separate from the other and therefore wants to be held by the other. Before, before the infant feels separate from the other, they don't, they're, they don't need to be held by the other because yeah. they're not separate from the other. So after the new, which is the separation, a little bit of the separation, um, the child begins to then want to experience the desire of the other. Um, and that's not, the name of the father. And that's where, yeah, uh, which that's where, yeah, that leads up to the name of the father. So we're kind of between the two at the moment. The new of the father is the separation. Are y'all following this? <laughs> but we're going to, uh, yeah, we'll stick with it. No, I like it. Yeah. It's cool. It's fun. I like it. It's yeah. sexy and it's cool and it's colorful. I told y'all that. Yeah. This is going to be super fun. Yeah. Sounds to me there has to be a prohibition. There's a something that happens. There's a break. And then there has to be an object upon which to project yeah. that inherent break that happens as a result of it. Yes, so that's very good. Yeah, so the first thing is the prohibition. That's the no, and it's called sometimes called the no of the father because technically, but it can be anything that does it. Is something has to come between the mm-hmm. the mother child unity. So there is a type of oneness between the mother and the infant that needs to be broken, and that that's called the no. The no is what breaks that unity, and that I I would argue that that always happens. Right, that always that's that's the beginning of subjectivity. That is that's the primal repression. That's that's the beginning of the unconscious. That's where everything kicks off. Do you do you do you um, believe that babies are born as I believe the word is tabula rasa, the blank tablet? Like, because it, it sounds like this is all built on it's it's so built into the kind of personal history thing. But uh, when I hear parents talk of whom I am not one. Um, it often sounds like the child sort of has already a personality that kind of springs oh, yeah. forth, but this sounds like it all starts with the no and the name. 
Yeah, although I would reject the tabula rasa idea. Yeah, for for this reason, like I would argue that 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 child, that all of us inherently have a need for uh, this new and this name to happen. We all have an inherent. In, again, in Lacan, it's, it's called the um, the signifiers, the signifier mm-hmm. of the first other signifiers. So we all have a need for that, and so the, and and the, that's why the child looks for. It. So if, for example, like for example, the child needs some separation from the first other. So say the first other is, and it's an adopted child, mm-hmm. and the parent is really into religion, and so the parent is always thinking about their religious vocation. Mm-hmm then the, the know of the father is religion, right? The child oh, is... Oh, the know of the father is religion? I yeah. thought the name of the father would be religion. Well, uh, yes, it'll be the know and the name, you are right. <laughs> so, yeah. Are you guys following this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, put it like this, because yes, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. You, and you also, to... if you find this interesting, you got to go to the therapy, because there's, <laughs> there's nothing normal if you find this actually interesting. I find it interesting, yeah. and I recognize it's not yeah. normal. Well, we're, we're working to make a very unpopular podcast. Incredibly. <laughs> Uh, but I like it. This it is, is what good. people, yeah. you know, this is the good, this is instead of us just being like Batman's fun. Uh, yeah, UFOs. Yeah. Uh, well, so yeah, right. Let, and you're right about the name. So let's let's get back to that in a second. Relig- let's say anything that 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 kind of like um, gets in the way. However, you get in the way, that's going to be no. But mm-hmm. it's, but it's compl- so the child is wanting that. There, there are. It's almost like the brain or the mind or the child is yearning for it. And if it doesn't happen you end up in a psychotic structure okay. for the rest of your life. And that's now, where you get the psychos. Psychos, yeah. Psychotic structure. But the funny thing is, like, I almost, the way I'd like to describe it is there's nothing inherently better or worse in these four moods of being. So we say autism, psychosis, perversion, neurosis. There's actually nothing inherently better or worse about any of them. But something happens at each of these levels that, 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 that uh, almost like a, like a, a spider diagram sends you off. Mm-hmm. And if there isn't enough separation between you and, say, your primary caregiver, then I would say that's what, structurally speaking, psychosis is. And that means in your adulthood, you, your sense of ego, you have what Lyme calls ontological insecurity. Like your sense of being yeah. is very weak. You have derealization, depersonalization. You, you know, you, they're not... They're not exclusively psychotic symptoms, but they're very psychotic symptoms. Um, you, you're tyrannized by certainty, sometimes voices, hallucinations, mm-hmm. all of that. You know. Let's take a let's take an example. Okay. Let's go yes. to an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When I hear psycho, mm. right? Mm. Psychotic structure. Let's just think of one that maybe we can all agree on might be a crazy person. Yeah. Let's say like Adolf you, Hitler. Like you've said a couple of the guys you work with, Steve Zarzo. Steve Zarzo, right. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, the nude still life of my uncle came out well. <laughs> Excuse me. Or let's say everyone I've ever worked yeah. with. Uh, which is probably my, their name. That's my name of the father, I guess, or whatever. Uh, okay, so also, secondly, name of the father and know of the father. These aren't literal terms. They were uh, wordplay. That yeah, wordplay. So yeah. these are symbolic sort of metaphors. Uh uh, Hitler, right? Okay. Pretty, pretty crazy guy. Pretty crazy guy. I don't know if you've heard, but he did some bad stuff. Okay. He is like the absolute, you know, gold standard of, of crazy, the gold standard of psycho. But does that mean that he had 
essentially like a really like normal childhood like does the does the extent of the is there a one-to-one ratio of the extremity of the child's experience to who they become later in this idea like he became so crazy yeah so he's he must have been like you know yeah but yeah, but I wonder, like, but yes, that's a good point. Because I would say, like, but Hitler was probably neurotic, I'm guessing. I don't know anything. I haven't actually read any biographies on him, but I would guess that he was potentially neurotic. So, oh, really? Yeah. Um, well, okay, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then switch it out for, you know. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing is, like, you can get you can get bad and good versions of all of them. So you can get like, you know, ethical and unethical or pathological and non-pathological versions of all three structures, all four structures. Right? And you don't believe in archetypes? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> it's just so funny. Because uh, it sounds exactly like you're talking about archetypes. You don't believe in archetypes, but you believe in perverse, neurotic, autistic, and... Psychotic, Psychotic, yeah, 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 because their structures, they're not, they're not unlike uh, archetypes, unlike archetypes, which are (laughs) how is that different? (laughs) Because archetypes are, um, they have they're um, uh, full of meaning. Oh, okay, yeah, they're kind of what do you mean, full of meaning? Like, it's almost like they, um, they are like, so in terms of structuralism, that's just kind of like there's it's kind of like mathematics. Mm-hmm. archetypes are more like Jung kind of felt that you go back far enough. You can't really get to the original archetype, whatever, mm-hmm. but there's kind of like a, yeah, a fullness it. of meaning, you know, anyway, but yeah, but mm. you might be able to make links between them. You make links. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. So well, it's just a funny, cause yeah. it does sound so similar to, I mean, <laughs> like literally almost verbatim yeah. uh, from what, uh, but the other thing is the reason why I like this. And by the way, some, a lot of, I've got psychoanalyst friends who, who don't like the, the neatness of Lacan here, I think it's right, so I'll say that. But I can understand why people don't, some, some of my psychoanalyst friends don't like the neatness of it. Because, but the, the neatness of it's interesting. Like, whenever I talk about psychotic, for example, perverse and neurotic, which we're going to cover today, is it's, it's, um, it's very logical, right? So whenever you go, oh, the psychotic structure is some sort of issue at, at the at the new of the father at the new okay uh, very uh, interesting right so yeah and then that means that basically because there hasn't been enough alienation the ego doesn't form as strongly yeah. and so then you feel colonized by discourse mm-hmm. you feel you know so it kind of makes sense that mm-hmm. makes complete sense of that to me but uh, but again psychotic doesn't mean kind of good or bad it just means that you're likely to uh, maybe suffer from certainty occasionally. Yeah. You might suffer from, uh, as I say, sometimes like not knowing where you begin and end. Yeah, yeah. All this stuff is very interesting because it's so filled with words that you that have completely different meanings in the context that mm. you're using them, and and it creates it makes it very difficult to give succinct. Yes. Understanding. Oh, yeah. This is like, all very. Oh, name of the father. It's like, well, that doesn't intuitively doesn't mean anything until you have you have to have an understanding. Of yes, it. you have to. Yeah, it all has to fit yeah, in. But fun. once you start getting the map, it starts to all make lots of sense. That's what I love. You know, yeah. it's there. Uh, um, and then, right? Then we've got say say play for organic. This is right. That the, well, definitely the child has to separate to some extent, which is called alienation in Lacan, is alienate from the mother, So, which means that they start to feel themselves as separate. That's why, by the way, the kids always... We've talked about this before, but the Fort Da game that Freud noticed is kids love yeah. to play throwing something away and getting it back, or peekaboo, disappearing and reappearing. Like, kids are 
all, one of the most the, the most primitive game yeah. is presence and absence. Yeah. Yes, They're, no. Yes, yes, no. They're dealing with, which is the most basic language. Binary. Right, binary. Because a language requires at least two signifiers. Mm-hmm. You can't have a language with one. A language requires up and down, yep. uh, yes or no, uh, fast or slow, right? It, so the first most basic language is presence and absence. And, and children obsessively pr- play with this yeah, presence yeah. and absence which, and partly probably what they're doing is they're playing with the presence and absence of their mother other mm. right because they come and go but they're taking control of it the child has control over the thing that they the yeah, food that yeah. they threw off the table gets back because they don't have control over their and they're idiots and they're idiots oh well, yeah children are idiots they're so concrete thinkers that's the, we'd have to do a podcast on that 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 that's why Freud put so much emphasis on uh, sexual parts because kids um, are very concrete thinkers. What's that? And he was a coked out pervert. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, um, that is true. Uh, I would oh, yeah. pay a billion dollars. Yes. Uh, to have been at the talk where Freud historically mm. gave the whole speech to a bunch of. While on cocaine, academics. yes. While on cocaine, saying that seems like uh, all these dads are having sex with all their daughters, <laughs> and everyone's like, "No, we're not." <laughs> and then he's like, hmm, "I guess maybe that's not actually literally happening." Okay, they're formulating. Yeah. And the, oh, and that's a great way of describing the move from Freud to Lacan is the move from biological stuff to yeah. to to language to signifiers. Very key. Although I'm more and more convinced that well, they're they're so interconnected. But right, anyway. Um, the biological and the linguistic like th- this starts for children with often how they look at their mother and their father and bodies and naked bodies and their own penises and vaginas and all of that does have a real impact on the child but but uh, yeah but they're signifiers interesting yeah um but, yeah and if we could just keep it pg keep it <laughs> i would appreciate that yeah uh, yeah okay so so no, know the father, name of the father. Okay, right? yes. Wordplay, we don't got to go into that. But yeah, name of the father. It sounds like I'm still kind of skirting around the general right idea. Which yeah. Is oh, that definitely. Is yeah. The sort of object. What do you see, like object A or something? Is that what you would say? Object A. Really Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Object A. Yeah. What happened? Yeah, we're getting into object A. I'm like, I don't ever think I'm paying attention. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Sometimes it's okay. So object A then becomes the substitute for the lack is yeah or the the target of your lack yes so well yeah but so what happens because you're right but to make it kind of clear for people is that right once the child start so once separation happens or i should use the word alienation where that that initial alienation yeah. from the mother happens you feel you've lost something so that's the first thing you feel and you feel you've lost jouissance poor baby pleasure you feel, the bodily pleasure, you've, you feel like, my goodness, like, what the fuck, I've lost something, right? Whenever people do drugs, they often are trying to recover the oceanic oneness that they feel they've lost. So the very, the very birth into subjectivity is a loss, is a feeling of a loss of jouissance. And Lacan famously says, it's like somebody saying, your money or your life, right? A highwayman, he put, points a gun at you and says, your money or your life. If you don't give your money, you're going to lose your life. Right, but if you give your money, you're going to lose something valuable, something that gives you pleasure, something that you can purchase things with. So Lacan basically says the infant has this choice right at the beginning, a weird forced choice between either losing their life or losing their jouissance. 
And by losing their life, what that almost means is you don't come into being as a subject. But if you come into being as a subject, you feel that you've lost this oceanic oneness, this feeling of something. If you don't... If you don't, if you don't alienate from your mother, yeah. if you don't have the no, if the no doesn't occur, uh, then you don't fully come into being as a subject. But if you come into being as a subject, you lose something which is jouissant. You lose this kind of pleasure, mm -hmm. this kind of, you know, um, I, which me, again means that in, in a psychotic structure where this doesn't happen in a very straightforward way, mm -hmm. uh, psychotic subjects can be inundated with jouissance, which can manifest in profound agitation and pleasure. And, and jouissance is... Go into that word again. Yes. I always forget Jouissance. I get Jouissance yeah. confused with sh Schadenfreude or whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> very, right. Yeah. I mean, Jouissance is oh, it's almost like it's like um, it's what gives us an excessive pleasure, often a painful pleasure. It's what turns us on or what kind of we really. So it's not just a desire for a tea or a coffee. It's what is a type of desire that is that is. Um, very powerful. Sexual desire okay. is a type of jouissance, but you can be, the, the reason why it's called jouissance is it's called a painful pleasure because sometimes what you desire, you judge yourself for, maybe morally. You have fantasies that you feet. ethically don't, what's that? Feet. Feet. Yeah, feet. That's a fetishist desire. So fetishists have, a, you know, well, objects or things or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, or or you, you fantasize something violent happening to you or somebody else and you may go, well, I don't ethically think I don't want to do that violence right. to somebody, but it turns me on to think about but it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So, it would be nice. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's the kind of jouissance because there's pleasure in it, but also guilt in it and yeah. anxiety in it. And then whenever you play it out, if you play it out with your partner, for example, there can be anxiety and, you know, all of that. Yeah. So that's jouissance. Add a little sum sum. A little sum sum. So, yeah. But so jouissance is that bodily pleasure that, and we're always seeking to some extent. But not always, like you could say someone gets jouissance out of their depression. People can get pleasure out of being sad. They get ple They may not know it, but it's that, mm -hmm. it's that. It's basically what motivates us, what drives us. Yeah. yeah. It adds a certain moistness to life. Yeah. And whenever you become a subject, you feel that you've lost a little bit of that. That's why, in, in a way, the first response of the infant is to return to the mother other. Mm. So they almost to, to get the jouissance back, to become one again with the, the first other. They run back. They run back, right? Correct. And that's where they become object A for the, the, the first mother. other, the mother, right? So to become object A is the child wants to be the object of the mother's jouissance. They want to be the object that gives the mother all of the pleasure, mm -hmm. right? That's a, and this is perversion, right? Uh, now we're getting into the perverts. You now we're getting into perverts, We've yeah. covered feet, we've covered Hitler. Yeah. And yet I still feel like I got to have a whiteboard, like a diagram in front of me. But I, I'm, I'm, okay. I, I didn't, I, I like the part that you just brought up of the, uh, yeah, the kid, the kid offering the completeness to the mother in turn. Uh, I didn't, hadn't thought about that. The kid then becomes object A for the mother. Yeah. So that's, 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 I, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's fun. Which is Lacan's definition of the perverse fantasy is the perverse the perverse fantasy is you want to be the object of the other's demand, of the other's jouissance. You want to be the object that satisfies and makes complete the other. Are you guys following this? <laughs> <laughs> I just have fun. <laughs>
time. But the way the way of thinking about it then is like, yeah, as soon as as soon as the child kind of feels, oh my goodness, I'm in the world, I'm 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 not at one with my mother, they immediately go, I've lost something. I yeah. want to get it back. No, but here's the thing. They also don't want to get it back. This is where it gets more complicated. They the child also feels too engulfed by the other's desire, right? They also want to be a little they want to grow up. They want to grow up. They want to be differentiated. Can't, yeah. The, yeah. the poor must grow into the Senex at some point. Yeah. So so the so the child has to get a little bit of space away from the other. And this is the name of the father. So the name of the the name or the is is whenever the child realizes that they're not everything for the other, that the say the mother has other desires, and so mm-hmm. t- technically it's called the name of the father because within kind of the nuclear family it's like oh what who else does the mother desire? Oh, the mother desires their partner, but their partner can be another woman, or say their part or what they desire could be their work or their religion doesn't matter. It's it's like oh my mother desires something other than me, something that is not me. Interesting. And the child names it. And the child names it. Yeah. And the, the child goes, oh, and then this is mimetic desire. The child starts to desire what the, the desire other desires. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so that can be, take the form of a uh, religion. Yep. Can take the form of a vocation. Yep. A person. A person. It can be um, drugs. It can be TV. And this is where yeah, yeah. people who mimic their their fathers, like, to the point that it's almost strange and weird is... Uh, Maybe the same thing where they're kind of mimic, literally mimicking the image oh, of yes. the father. Oh yes! Oh yeah! 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 A, they can do that. Yeah, you start to mimic and you start to already have rivalry with the other. Like this is where, and this is what's fascinating is it it, it manifests itself so richly indip- individually. Every individual has a different way it maps out, but the very basic structure is kind of similar, which is you. Your your mother or the other desires something else, mm-hmm. and and but if and if they don't, if you, if the child doesn't experience the mother desiring anything else, where where you are the sole smothering of kind of yeah. mother who's just like you are this, yes. you are this. Yeah, I don't really like anything else than your father or whatever. And then um, then yes, so you get millennials. That's millennials. <laughs> hey, oh, coming in. Hey, hot. still going. Fun. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's. No, and that's, I'm joking. Obviously, that's how you get Gen Z. But okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, millennials, I don't think had that problem. But okay, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. so here's. Okay. Okay. So to summarize. To summarize. Thank you so much, mm-hmm. class, for coming today. Mm-hmm. And by class, I do mean the 30 people who you are have made be. it this far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Baby. Baby. Goes from being the whole world yep. to not being the whole world. Then recognizing not only are they not the whole world, they cannot even be the whole world for their mother. Yeah. Right? Yes. They recognize the sort of name of the father or whatever. And then you get... Per, per, per? You get... It, at, at the stage where they... At the stage where they're able to name the mother's desire and they see that when you say name like do you mean name like at this point this kid knows like they're at least able in their own heads to go like i don't know when kids learn language first of all so i don't know jack about this but like they're not really naming it like they they see it they psychologically name yes and there's a there's a point where a child is called joint attention where a mother can look at something and the child will look 
at what the mother's looking at. In other words, they're noticing that what, what Lacan calls the gaze. The gaze, that children are very aware of the gaze, of like where the gaze of the mother mm-hmm. or the father is going, and then the and what it's alighting on, yes. And then they'll go, oh, that is something that the other desires, and that's the name of the mm-hmm. father. So they, they're not doing this, yeah, as you say, it's, yeah, it's not like this, oh, they're naming it with lie. They're just starting to realize that, that the gaze of the other is, is alighting on other yeah. things than themselves. And then this is neurosis. Uh, and that's neurosis. That's neurosis. That's my favorite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm really good at it. Yeah. Very, very. Uh, okay. So why is this important? Why is this important? That's a good question. Well, it's really interesting for, for a For one, start. it's very interesting. Yes. For one, yeah. Because we're trying to figure out what is it to be a subject, to be a human in the world, and to kind of like... You reach, well, you, here's the thing. You start to realize that people desire in diff- very different ways. It can actually help you realize that we're not all the same. That's one of the, that's one of the things, for example, is... is uh, yeah, so, for nice. example, a, yeah. Neu- yeah, a neurotic fantasy. Here's a neurotic fantasy. Uh, this is an hysterical fantasy, right? Fundamental. Oh, but fundamental fantasy, we get to that, is a fundamental fantasy is all of your fantasy life if you really analyze it, you can boil it down to having a fundamental structure. And that's called a fundamental fantasy. And depending on how these early things happen, you can say you have different fundamental fantasies. And if you understand that, you can understand what you get what off on you. and what the other person gets off on. Yes, motivates you in various ways, sexually or... Oh, sexually. Well, sexually, but also relationally in various ways. You know, So like a... A hysterical fantasy, I would say, t- 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 um, is typically the other wants to be the object that evokes and inflames the other's desire. Okay, wait, hold on, say that again. The the individual wants to be object A, they want to evoke the other's desire. And what structure is this? A, a neurotic, hysterical neurotic. Hysterical neurotic. Yeah, and yeah. they want to what? They want to inflame the desire of the other. Oh, yeah. Oh. Without, without satisfying it. Which you see in in in, in, in <laughs> Instagram. <wife. laughs> I mean, Instagram is very good. If you watch any Instagram stuff, where you see a, 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 someone is enjoying uh, evoking, creating, and sustaining yeah. desire in the other, that's a fundamental fantasy. But that's in very the different. Lacanian tradition, diagnostically, I would be considered a obsessive neurotic, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, you said yeah pretty quickly. <laughs> Uh, first of all, uh, how dare you? Uh, but what is that? So that means that as an obsessive neurotic, I pine for the the sort of uh, whereas the hysteric seeks the desire, the hysteric neurotic seeks the desire uh, and tries to provoke it. I uh, in turn sort of this uh, like yin yang kind of thing of 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 I I just do I desire you de- you desire what's impossible. Yeah, I see well, your yeah yeah <laughs> your desire is inflamed by name one area yeah <laughs> he sits in Los Angeles yeah and you de- but you deny the lack in yourself so well if you're an obs- and I'm not saying you as a but an obsessive person is one who denies them who tries to repress their own lack um, but they also find it very hard to. Um, 
get too close to someone's subjectivity, they often find themselves desiring less when they get closer to the object of their desire. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but but neurosis in general, yeah, this, I mean... It hasn't been my personal experience. But, is that right? Yeah, but maybe I'm just repressing the, you know... So we've talked about this before. There's a non-falsifiable element to a lot of this stuff. Where I know. You can always just go, oh, you're just repressing the repressing other part. That, yeah, yeah. But that's how all these fun things work where it's more like Rorschach tests. And you can go like, oh, yeah, that makes sense for me. That's what I am. And then, yeah. Uh, I see that out of the chaos. I know. Nice. It is one of the things. Like, I think you can get around that argument, but I will admit the strength of it. I'm sure like, you can get around that <laughs> yeah. because but, yeah. you have a psychotic. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. I um. But yeah, I've been reading some case studies recently, and you go like, God, to some extent, this is very persuasive. But then you go, Could I think of a completely different way of understanding? Yeah. Could stuff? you just absolutely yeah. Th- throw? Yeah. 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 But th- but you know what? This works right because I was talking to someone today, and I noticed right. This is this is somebody a friend of mine, and um, I noticed that. Uh, this, what she does in her relationship uh-huh. sometimes is she finds a man whose desire is not working. So he's depressed, basically, whose desire is not kind of functioning very well. And she she attempts to, you know, get the other's desire going again. She enjoys being the one to kind of provoke the desire of the other. And I, and I kind of noticed that this was also connected to her relationship with potentially her father, who uh, seemed to suffer from depression. And it seemed like that at a very basic level in childhood, and I don't know if this is right, I need to talk more to her, but is that, that potentially uh, she was wanting her father to be a desirous to, to basically be paternal, to be strong and desirous and desire things, but he was depressed and he and so she wanted to um, get his desire going so that he would be desirable she's to his mother. Trying to save, she's yeah. just trying to save her father. Save her father to to make her father a desirable to mother to to basically prop up the paternal function. And as I was kind of exploring this, going like this is where the theory is really interesting. It can sometimes like make sense of your relationship with your earliest. Yeah. Part, and then what you're replaying in, in contemporary life. And nine times out of ten, I find that it's really insightful for that. Yeah. And then sometimes you kind of, you, you know, it's, it's you, you miss the mark. Yeah, but, but, yeah. It's like astrology, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes it works. Yes, and there's something, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, think of it like a perverse subject, right? And so exhibitionism and voyeurism. I just wanted just, to see your reaction when I compared Lacanian psychoanalysis to astrology, and I was hoping to get more of a rise out of you. <laughs> oh, I didn't and I quite just hear you. I didn't quite hear I what you said. See, I want to say how truly disappointed I am oh, that you, know I, you didn't throw up on your shirt. But you said it too quietly. You I just said something quietly. quietly. I was trying to really sneak it in like a little needle, like a little <laughs> sewing, a little, you know. Yeah, well, you oh, got yeah. it in there because I just moved straight you on. You really just moved. Yeah. I was like, I just insulted, like, you know, quote, unquote. <laughs> I mean, nothing against either one of these wonderful traditions. Yeah, well, I know you're getting into the astrology. <laughs> no, no, I'm no, not I getting into yeah. astrology. I don't believe yeah, in astrology. I just yeah, I'm really joking, I am. But you did say, as a, Pisces, as a Pisces moon, you would you would say that? No, no, you're a Pisces moon also. And also, you didn't hear what I just said, which was very funny. What did you say? Well, of course, I don't believe in astrology. It's just weird that it works. So, <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, okay. That is very you. Um, oh, yeah. What was I saying? What was nah, it? Oh, remember. yeah. It was... Oh, perverse structure, right? So, in a perverse structure, someone is lacking a strong father figure, paternal figure. So... The new of the father happened, right? So there was a there was an alienation. They kind of mm-hmm. had that experience, but 
they weren't able to name the other's desire. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So, okay. Right. So I was thinking with Will Smith. Here's a good example. Will Smith recently, I don't know if you heard about this, but he slapped a famous comedian at an event. Uh, right. Okay. Well, for anybody who doesn't I'll know. I'll look it up. You look it up. Look it up. But this guy called Chris Rock or The Rock, one of them, slapped him. Kid Rock. Kid Rock. And there's a kid, yeah. And there's a um, interest. One of the things in the background is that uh, Will Smith and his wife Jada, uh, Jada, they're in an open relationship. But it also might be, well, okay. I'm well, kind this of, is going to get very interesting. <laughs> okay, this is very interesting. I am on the edge of my seat okay. right now. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, here's the thing. So. I, a typical perverse fantasy, which, by the way, doesn't mean if you have as fantasy you're perverse, but it's very typical, is a cuckolding fantasy, where because it's usually a man fantasizes about his partner having sex with other, other people. Men, yeah. Right now, interestingly, that I'm not saying that that's what Will Smith has with Jade or whatever, but it's possible that seems that way. Right? Yeah, and, and potentially it's it's actually his desire, like it's you know mm-hmm. that he's then convinced her that this is what she wants. But and, but the reason for that is often what the man wants is if there's been a weak paternal figure is they want their partner they want to the name of the father they want their partner to be able to to name a desire other than themselves so they get sexual pleasure from their partner having sex with somebody else in other words saying this is what i desire i desire something that's outside of you that's outside the unity of me and you i desire this third and so what the perverse subject is doing is they are creating what they didn't have in their childhood which was a, a father who was able to name their mother's desire so you have a perverse fantasy where the, uh, the yeah. yeah uh so now we have to change the title to perverts psychos and cucks okay <laughs> even go. though the word cuck i don't know why i mean maybe it's because it's not it rhymes with the f word but like it makes the whole, the whole subject is incredibly uh fascinating i would yeah, just say yeah, it's yeah. very fascinating okay. and i think that the if ever if ever this psychoanalytic perspective had something to say on a general kind of phenomenon i think that cuckolding or whatever yeah. is definitely right there yeah. because uh oh yeah something's and, and going cu- on yeah. some yeah. something something's going on there well yeah and cuckolding like the cuckolding fantasy i was just thought about this it just went actually when this whole thing with william will smith william smith william smith <laughs> i should call him william dr smith. william i, I want to give him his full <laughs> title <laughs> William <laughs> Smith. <full time. laughs> Want to be yeah. respectful? Yeah, no one ever calls him William Smith. Nope. I'm no one ever <laughs> in the history of his life has ever called him William Smith. So William Smith. Um, but you know, the Lacan said, and it's true. When it comes to perversion, men are the weaker of the species, right? So men, more men are perverse than women generally. Um, in terms of psychosis, it's fifty-fifty in Europe, whatever. But in perversion, more it's usually more men are perverse than female. And cuckolding fantasies are primarily a male fantasy yeah, yeah. even and but you when you Masculine start to, or whatever yeah. yeah and but when you understand it as going oh yeah all of us whether whatever whenever you understand these structures it kind of makes fantasy really easy to read and one of the things about cuckolding fantasy is that the man is saying i need you as the other right the your partner as the other and the mother other to name the fat to name the desire outside of me i like i need to get some distance and so they are finding a way temporarily within the fantasy structure to get what they didn't get when they yeah. were young. The problem is it's, it, never, it never works for a long time, so you have to engage, mm-hmm. continue with the fantasy. But, you know, that's one example of, like, 
Our fantasies aren't just, oh, I like this because I like it. No, your fantasies tell you something fundamentally about your most early relationships with your first other and your second other and how you relate to the other's desire. It's uh, it's just icky. Mm. It's just icky, Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, Not my... (laughs) I mean, it is fascinating. Okay, so we're at 55 minutes. Mm. Mm. Is there any Has this made any sense at all? (laughs) Mm, yeah, I have to ask. You have to ask William Smith. Uh, William Smith. D- no, it, uh, some of it's made sense. I, I, you know, I mean, we can have a different discussion at some point about. We'll do a follow up. Oh guess. yeah. Because uh, this, yeah, uh, this, uh, yeah, this was just kind of like a it's reading. Just a ni- it's a nice. Uh, yeah, you did a really good job of, I think, summarizing a lot of Lacanian like tent concepts. Yeah. yeah, and the, and the, the 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 start of this was the primal repression idea is going like because. Secondary repression is you have to have an unconscious in which to repress something. And so what Adler was basically saying, or what Freud was saying, is in order to have a a location in which you can put stuff, Mm -hmm. you need to first create the location. So in order to create a universe, you'll, you have to start with space and time, right? You have to, you have to, if you have to, if to have a place where you're going to put stuff, you have to have the treasure chest first. Yep. Primal repression basically answers the question of why we as subjects have a space within us. It's almost like, like, it sounds crazy to say, but in physics it's the same as you have to create space before you can create the unit. Like space itself has to be created. And what I've described here is whenever at the very beginning we talked about the non-coincidence of the baby with itself, as in it has needs, and when those needs are responded to, there's a slight disparity, right? The disparity between the need, the demand, and the response to the demand, that creates a type of spatiality within the subjectivity of the child. That spatiality is called desire. That desire is then given to Mm -hmm. the other, um, as in, I give what I do not have, my lack. The other um, responds to that lack with love. Right? Yeah. They respond to that lack with love. And what now, not, now the subject is marked or inscribed or branded with an originary lack. And in theology, that's called original sin. Yes. Right? That, an originary lack that, that marks us as subjects. It always comes back to the Bible, doesn't it? <laughs> You found a way. <laughs> My God. Look at you. Yeah. Uh, same with Heidegger. Oh, yeah. Same still. Heidegger's also just... Are you doing back. some Heidegger stuff at the moment? No. Well, I was oh. watching a lecture on Heidegger. But uh, it, I, used it, to, it, I used to be very... I used to like Heidegger. The professor was saying something like, uh, yeah, Heidegger has a lot of original sin kind of just correlates. They're just like, it's the same kind of general idea. So it always brings you back to theology. My only... Uh, I would say I, I really liked when you were talking about how certain psychoanalysts feel that the system's a little too neat. Yes, uh, yes And I yes. really like that because that's where I go, like, boy, it seems like it all makes sense, and my only problem with it is that it all makes sense. Yeah. And, it, it, and my fear is it becomes a little bit of a house of mirrors uh, that is so concretely, you know, it just isn't quite... Uh, I guess that's what I guess that's just my resistance to it, and maybe yes. that's my obsessive neurotic nature. No, and I get I get this, but I will be honest with you. I when I talk to my friends, your psychoanalysts, and this, and they, a couple of them, kind of think that this is too neat. They have never given me a persuasive argument for why. In fact, the only thing that they say, which fits into what I'm saying, is that you can neuroticize 
psychosis. You can, like, you, you can perversify. Yes. Cuckolding. <laughs> yeah. And you, you can uh, well. Yeah. How you know? Give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. You can like well yeah because you can basically like like what is like so I was talking to a friend, a psychoanalyst recently, who. And I, and I was saying to because I'm not a practitioner, I'm a theorist. So I was going like, okay, in the clinic, in the practice of the What's clinic, your experience? Yeah. yeah, have you ever seen a psychotic structure become neurotic? And and no, no one I've ever talked to can say. Now, what they can say and what he can say is, as, as, if you have a psychotic structure and it's pathological, i.e., you have manic episodes where you think you're talking to. God or, or 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 you know sorry I should say you know you're talking to God or God sorry um then you can neuroticize that which means the individual can have absolute certainty that they're hearing the voice while also going um I'm not right they can have they can kind of basically have the two extremes at the same time mm-hmm. right um and uh, but that's different from a neurotic experience. Like that's very different from a neurotic who might hear God speak to them, but also will be able to ask questions about it and doubt it and be unsure of it. So anyway, what, what kind of what I'm saying is I've never seen it. It is too neat, probably, but I have not seen a good argument against it yet. Exactly, that's yeah. the problem. The problem isn't that it doesn't work. The problem is that it works. It works. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, everybody, for for listening. To this. <laughs> Making it this far. Um, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I find it very interesting no. and whatever. Yeah, like, by the way, this I think this do. is what we do. This is, this is what we do. Um, also, we're not in this for the, the sex or the money, yeah. unfortunately, because I'm not getting any of those nope. <laughs> at the moment, uh, <laughs> as we talked about earlier. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, before yeah. the behavior <laughs> Uh, but, uh, all very wonderful, very beautiful. Pete, you gotta watch two shows Severance, Moon Knight, okay? Severance and what? Moon Knight. Moonlight. Oh, and here, have you seen the new Nicolas Cage movie? No, I have you? Yeah. Oh, really? Is it great? Oh, it's very good. Oh, it's cool. I'm good. really excited. It's very good. It's um, very good. But we gotta, people have actually asked us to talk about Severance specifically. Okay. Uh, which is available on Apple TV for folks who maybe haven't seen it. It's one of the best shows I've seen in quite some time. No, I do like the, uh, I do like the premise. You gotta, you gotta yeah. watch it. Because here's the thing, by the way, and I know they probably go into this, obviously, but it's like, by severing yourself... You're condemning. Ha- you're condemning yourself. You get it. to a hundred percent work hell, right? You know. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fun. Which is very funny. I mean, like, like, <laughs> it's like you're condemning, and it's not even part of yourself. You're kind of condemning all no, no. of yourself. Not part of yourself. It's all of yourself. All of yourself to to hell. Yeah, but you to, can't know to pure capitalism. You have hell. no idea what your other your outer is with, or uh, yeah. yeah, Audi is with. Yeah, and maybe that's a good comrade. Good. Well, half of me or, or one of me is going to just never have to work. Exactly. <laughs> but one of me is going to be enslaved to complete work. Yep. It's heaven and hell, yep. you know. <laughs> and those people have no idea about it. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. So you got to watch that. We'll do another future episode on it. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this. Check out patreon.com slash the fundamentalist. It helps us keep it going. We're not making money. On it <laughs> helps us keep it going because you know, you know how much we're doing. You know Truly, how much work we're doing on I'm this. I'm telling you, though, yeah. if ever there was a Patreon where it's like... it. We just use it to pay for the editing. So that's yeah. it. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. We haven't made any money. Yeah. 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 So, but anyway, thank you guys uh, for joining us. And, um, you know, um, you know, um, you know, get, keep my wife's name <laughs> out your mouth. <laughs>